What's going on? My name is Justin, and this is the Pride of Vermont podcast, the podcast dedicated to growing grassroots rugby into a global brand. My guest today is a friend of the show, uh, and I can't say enough good things about him. That was the first person to have us on and really put us over as a club here at Queen City. Uh, my guest is Mark from the Outlawed Rugby League podcast. Mark, how are we doing? You're right. What's going on, man? How are you? Uh, just, uh, you know, trying to get everything together. It seems like the closer we get to the holidays, the more there is to do. And that saying, uh, there's never enough time or it's always something they just, man, seems like to be true every day. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. It is, um, it's busy. It is busy. And, um, I mean, my, my missus, she's still on something called furlough, so she's technically not working. However, her mum and dad have, um, shops in a little in a little town near us so he has like a um like a soft furnishing shop so like um yeah uh, i suppose like bed clothes and stuff like that um, and she has a, a card shop so obviously cards is is kind of christmas is her thing miss you know when it comes to yeah. cards and obviously when she makes the most money so so to be fair to kate she's she's earning a little bit of cash in hand so she she'll then uh, transfer that to me. I'll pop into the shops on the way home and, and pop some stuff in the garage uh, ready for <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's always the way it is. Uh, people ask me uh, the last couple of days, "Are you ready for think uh, for Christmas now that Thanksgiving's over? Have you got all the presents presents together?" And uh, I'm like, "I don't know. I'll ask my wife." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it is it's hectic, and because it's kind of like. Some of the shops aren't open. Some of them are, and we've we've had a month of where you could only do click and collect. It's been it's been hectic. It really has. So yeah, it's made it. This whole COVID thing has made it interesting for a lot of reasons, and I think it's it's really kind of probably fast tracked commerce and a lot of things that the technology was already there. We just really had to start adapting to it, and I yeah. think it's fast tracked. It's probably fifteen years from yeah. from where we were. Yeah, agreed. 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 Yeah. So, listen, I, I wanted to talk to you a, a bit about, you know, it's it's Christmas coming up and everybody's kind of filling out their Christmas wish list. And my thought was, you know, around this time, I don't know if you guys had it there. We had uh, East Bay Magazine. Uh, mm. It was a magazine that really had, it was all the starter jackets, all of the, the athletic gear, all of the sneakers, the cleats. Uh, it was Nike, Reebok, kind of the big, you know, the big six. And I remember getting that catalog every year, you know, ripping it open, laying on the floor going, I want that, I want that, I want that. Did you have something like that? Yeah. So so we had something called Argos. So um, so Argos is uh, it's like a catalog store. Um, and it's they, they kind of they kind of reinvented how people should shop. So so we used to get the Argos catalog come through and it would be toys and electronics and um literally everything under the sun apart from food um, wow so you, you'd kind of say right well i want that off page 242 and that off page 706 and and you used to then go into argos and you used to have to fill out a little card with a pencil and and then you used to give it to the the cashier and they take your order it was almost like a fast food restaurant yeah um, i mean it's, it's it's kind of gone a little bit south when it when it comes to that to be fair because of stuff like amazon and everything like that but yeah yeah we um the the argos catalog was was the thing for us um and it was all toys and and it was always the the must-haves as well it was kind of like as soon as the argos catalog landed on you 
on your doorstep, it, it was time for Christmas. That and the, uh, and the Coca Cola advert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as soon as the polar bears came out, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, the only other one we had, thinking back on it, uh, was the Toys R Us uh, catalog. Sure, 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 sure. And that was the big one because it had like all the electronics, all the things you were never going to get. But yeah. it was great to just open it up and kind of like a la carte go down and go, I want some of this and some of that and, yeah. and some of this. And, you know, so I was thinking back on it and I was like, you know, we've had all this talk about uh, rugby league in North America. And my thought was, you know, why don't we just have our own kind of Christmas wish list about mm. what we think North America really should have or, or would have or could have if we could do it right sure. and just kind of you know expand out from there and, and you know I think one of the big things that everybody keeps hitting around that we really just need to do is have our own league here in the United States uh, yeah. you know we could maybe bring in Canada you know even though they're probably 10 or 15 years ahead of us uh, in development for a lot of reasons and just kind of think about you know, on my Christmas wish list, if we had a professional league of some sort uh, here in the U.S., what would that do for us? And, and uh, you know, really just kind of going down the list. Now, I made some uh, notes here, just kind of, you know, jotting down everything a league in North America would need. But I think it'd be important to talk about kind of some philosophies that I think would work and wouldn't work. And, and I think if you get the philosophies right, you know, then you talk about the specifics and then you talk about the money. So, uh, mm. you know, I'm thinking about a couple of things, right? I know it's people have talked about it, um, but I think we've got to understand that we can't use a European system in North America to grow yeah. a sport that nobody's even watching. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It, do, I mean, do you think that it's just kind of confusing for Americans to go and look at the only promotion rele relegation that we know about is really the Premier League, right? Anybody mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. pays attention to, to soccer, that's what we know. And it's just so confusing. While if you understand it, you get what it's all about, right? You yeah. always have the best at the top. That's what you want. But, yeah, yeah. you know, there's really something to be said about being a Cleveland Browns fan, right? You know, you, you just know year in and year out, you might make the playoffs if you're lucky. Uh, you know, you know you're going to be – maybe a 500 team, you might go eight and eight, you know, but you just know that we're in this together. And, and there's just something to be said about that, where you can just see what happens right over time. There's, mm. there's, you know, New England used to be the laughing stock of the NFL and now look at them, right. You know, Tom Brady and, and all those things that, that came through here. And sure. there's some other places that are like that. So, you know, what do you think about promotion relegation? What do you think it, it could do here or couldn't do here? And, and should we even use it? I, I think you're right in what you're saying. I think promotion and relegation is very much a, a European sport thing. So you look at look at soccer over here. You look at soccer in, in Germany, Spain, Italy, wherever it is. They, they use that kind of um, promotion, relegation. But obviously, it's, it's big money as well. So it doesn't necessarily work in other sports. So we see it a little bit in rugby league where we have promotion and relegation. But it's more because that's kind of what we're used to as 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 a UK. So although that that's potentially kind of how people see it, it might not be the right thing to do. So, you know, we have kind of yo-yo teams in, in rugby league that, that go up and come down and, and it can kind of cause real financial headaches. Whereas like, like you've rightly touched on there, American sports, you look at the big, 
you know, kind of the big American sports, you look at the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, there is no promotion and, and relegation. There is just expansion. And, and that's how people look at it. All right, there are kind of uh, feeder teams and feeder leagues and that kind of idea, and obviously college teams, etc. However, there is no promotion and relegation. Now, you look at, at Rugby League in Australia, and it works exactly the same. So you still have feeder teams in terms of the Queensland Cup and the New South Wales Cup. Um, and obviously, there's, there's leagues below that as well. However, the NRL is just one league. There is no promotion, no relegation. So for me, I think... It, it works in Europe because we've done it for years on end. However, you try and like exactly what I've just said there, you try and explain that to, to a North American and it's no disrespect whatsoever, but you guys don't do your leagues like that. You do your leagues in terms of franchises. So if you were then to say, okay, so we're going to introduce you to a game that, all right, you've heard of rugby, but this is a different kind of rugby. Um, but also we're going to introduce you to promotion and relegation, but also we're going to do this and also we're going to do that. I think it kind of puts too much pressure on too many things at one time. Whereas if you can kind of say we have an elite league of however many teams it is, whether it's 8, 10, 15, 20 teams, whatever it is, um, obviously hopefully you can you can grow as, as kind of the MLS has done. But if you can say, right, this is the, the elite league, this is what you're striving for. Okay, you may have again, feeder teams under that. Um, so a minor league, um, rugby league, which may be more regional, if you like, um, underneath that. But if you can say, okay, so these are the elite arguments, say 10 teams, and this is what, what we strive for. And this is, this is where we're going. Okay, right, I get that. I understand that. So you either finish top or you finish bottom. But also the thing I like about just touching on the, the Cleveland Browns thing there is if you, and again, we're a little bit kind of, way off with, with regards to rugby league. But if you look at the way the NFL is structured in terms of if you finish bottom of the pile, you get first pick in the NFL draft. So now all of a sudden we are seeing the Cleveland Browns start to bring in players that will start to do a job for them. So, you know, we've got Odell Beckham Jr. We've got Baker Mayfield. All of a sudden, you know, you're starting to get guys, okay, I'm not saying you put the the best 50 players into a team and it's going to make the best team. However, they are starting to bring in players. And, and like you say, you know, look at the way the Patriots were years back and then look at them in the last kind of 10, 15, 20 years. All of a sudden, they are the team to beat. I mean, not necessarily this year, um, but, but, <laughs> but at the same time, it it, it works for, for Americans and, and you guys understand it. And again, it's not it's not to kind of say, you know, no disrespect or anything like that, but if it works, why try and fix it? And, you know, if you are coming in with a, an outside game, why try and do it differently? Why don't you bring in your game, but still do it the American way? Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, if you just bring it back to business, right? If you're going to start a business uh, and it's a product that most people have never heard of, the first thing you've got to do before anybody starts to buy is to educate your audience, right? Educate your customers. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to reinvent the wheel, you know, try and get it as close to what's already there so people can just go, okay, the learning curve is not very steep. I understand this. Um, and you're not really picking up the early adopters, right? When the iPhone sure. came out, um, a lot of people were just like, yeah, this is not going to it's not gonna work, right? And it was just the early adopters. And I think if you can do that, if you can get, you know, limit the barriers of entry, bring it, here's what it is. It's very close. This is the way we do it. And, and oh, by the way, it aligns with American um, – style of play it aligns with sure. american personality it aligns with american identity right because that's if you're gonna make it 
make it a thing, it's got to align and we've got to have our own identity, our own style of play. Uh, you know, one of the things that I don't know if it frustrates it, it's me, it, it might be a kind of hard term to use, but uh, I don't have the other one, right, in my limited education. Uh, what frustrates me is, is to hear Americans use terms that are specifically unique about the sport to another region, right? Uh, we're, listen, we're Americans. Uh, let's call it what we call it. We call it soccer here in the United States, even though that term was used well before football was used to describe soccer. Um, we call it soccer here in the United States. The rest of the world calls it football. Mm-hmm. You know, we just got to do that and, and make it our own because if not, you know, again, once somebody takes their finger off the button, uh, it's, it's just going to kind of fall apart, I think. And that really has the same thing to do for me. If you look at the MLS, you knew when we started seeing success in the MLS when the people leading the teams, the people leading the organizations, the people on TV week in and week out uh, had North American accents. You yep. knew that's when we started to capture and understand what was going on with the game because we started to go, okay, we understand it. Now it's ours. Yeah. It might, you might've started it there, but now it's ours. And I think that's something that we've really got to do through, you know, through grassroots. If you look at soccer in the United States, it used to be at one time that more, uh, more kids played soccer in the U S through middle school until they got to high school than any other sport in the United States. Right. For some reason, somewhere between uh, eighth grade and freshman year, the switch just went, okay, well, we're not doing the sport anymore. Yeah. Now you've started to see that shift now where it's a popular sport. More people are playing it well into high school years. And there are some even here in Vermont that just, they don't even have uh, football programs. They have soccer programs and and that's their number one sport. Mm. But you got to do it at that grassroots level. And, and, but where do you go, right? If you're going to get a professional league and you're going to just bring it here and drop it, where do you start? Do you start down at eight, nine, 10 year olds uh, who probably aren't going to be in your fan base or, or drive anything to it until 10 or 15 years from now? You know, where, where would you start? I, I've had this idea for a while that union has been successful. Rugby union has been successful here in the United States based on the success of university rugby. Sure. We might've had club teams outside of that. You know, you come through, you do your four years, you get out, you want to continue to play uh, on an adult team. Uh, and I think they've, they've really built on that. And you could see with MLR uh, major league rugby, they've, you know, kind of had a college draft last year. Um, although the production value was a little questionable, but I understood what they were doing. I, I, you know, I knew where it was going because it was kind of an American thing. Yeah. And I've said that there's a, a big, mostly because I, I went through the, that program, the two year junior college uh, ranks. Um, there's nothing really there for a contact sport. Most of those, uh, I think there's only two divisions in the entire country that have a contact sport there. I think somewhere in that level is where we should really be looking at if we're going to try and build a, a league, a professional league. Mm. I, th- I think for me, it's like you say that it's difficult because you can't just put in a, um, a professional league, doesn't matter how many teams it is, without kind of any underpinnings and any, any kind of foundations, if you like. So I think you're right in what you're saying. Although you'll have your elite level um, 
you know, squad members, you are going to need a almost, I suppose, an academy side. Um, mm. So whether that's under 21 players or under 18 players, and then down into what we would call over here like a scholarship. So obviously a scholarship is a little bit different to what you guys do. So scholarship level would be um, kind of middle school to high school level um, kids, kind of under 15s, under 16s, um, you know, but, but to be fair, they would have come from a, a junior junior team anyway. So it, it's it's difficult to, to say, but I, I think grassroots is such a wide um, kind of sweeping statement because grassroots yeah. can cover anything from, as, as, you, as you rightly say, anything from kind of rugby tops of, of really young kids all the way through to kind of nine, ten-year-olds, all the way through to teenagers, all the way through to, to adults that are, are just playing just for the fun of playing. Um but I think true grassroots, if you like, is is kind of that junior level and and getting into the the high schools and the and the middle schools to a certain extent, and not necessarily putting it on the curriculum because obviously that's a, a difficult thing to do. But if you have it as a an after school club or um, an out of school club, whether it's on a weekend, you know, you may have some taster sessions where you say, hey, look, this is this is rugby. You know, you guys like playing football or you like playing hockey or or soccer or whatever it is. You know, come along and play play rugby. Oh, I've heard of rugby. Yeah, great. Well, this is rugby league. Um, again, you don't even have to say it's rugby league. You just call it rugby, because you, you don't want to kind of um, dilute it and 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 confuse the situation. So you say, look, we're going to have some taster sessions, whether that is during school time, whether it is, you know, at three o'clock after school's finished, and and it could be once, twice a week, and you you get fifty kids, a hundred kids, and you go, hey, this is good. Okay, well, actually, we're running this kind of camp, if you like, on on a weekend. And it doesn't have to be affiliated with a certain club. And I think that's what some people forget is it doesn't have to be affiliated with um, a certain junior club or a, a certain professional club. But if you can kind of, as an organisation, go into these cities, you know, argument's sake, you've got cities. I know it's, it's a it's a wide range, but you've got cities like New York City, Chicago, um, you know, potentially these could be places where you are putting uh, putting teams. So if you then have, well, actually, as an organisation in terms of the league, we're going to go into these schools and we're going to deliver something to, that then we can kind of start to reap the rewards from. Because if you, if you kind of leave the, the identity of the clubs out of it, but actually use the identity of the league or the sport, um, then all of a sudden, you know, you've got kind of a greater goal of you could have, all right, so these kids are, are playing in, in Illinois. They're not necessarily going to be playing for Chicago, but they're playing in the wider Illinois area. And then you may have a, um, you know, a, I don't know, a, a tournament where they end up playing the, the, the kids from, from Michigan, for example. Um, and then all of a sudden you, you start to build that. And from there, you can then you can then kind of whittle that down because you're not going to have, I'm going to say you have 100 kids. Not every one of the single, one of those 100 kids that are playing when they're 10, 11, 12 year olds are going to want to keep playing. And that's absolutely fine. But you are going to get kids that when you get to that age, start to go, well, actually, I really enjoy playing this. I, I quite fancy playing this, you know, making some money out of it. Okay, well, actually, this is the direction that you're going in. Now you're going to be, you're in Illinois, you're going to be going into this Chicago team and it becomes an academy setup as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think where, where it's really interesting is in, in the U.S., uh, predominantly sports are played through the education system, right? So every high school, middle school, elementary they all have all the sports. Mm. Very few of those sports, unless it's kind of a fringe sport, is played uh, as a club team where you just show up and you pay, 
money to play on that team. Yeah. Most of the, the uh, education system, if you're going to play on a high school team, 90% of all of the funding is, comes from somewhere else. You don't have to put your hand in your pocket to, to do that. Mm. <clears throat> now, if you want to go outside of that and get a little better, then, then of course, you're going to have to pay sure. uh, a few dollars for that. But is it the same in the UK? And in, in, uh, I'm not sure about Australia, but is it kind of the same way or is it, is it different? Kind of. So when I was growing up, we, we had a lot of kind of investment into sport. And then we went through kind of some tough financial times obviously as as a country and obviously as the world so a lot of funding got pulled by for example sport england um however that is starting to come back now and and like i say when i when i was growing up and we kind of did um work experience that kind of idea and and i would be working with the local um kind of development officer if you like uh for the area and they they would run the so i'm I'm originally from newcastle up, up in the northeast so they would run the northeast rugby league now it's kind of more of an organization as opposed to being funded by Sport England. The, the organization is more funded by the RFL, so the governing body. So you get a little bit of money from that. You get a little bit of money from from kind of charity, if you like. Mm. Um, and, and kind of through school, we we did get outside people coming in. But again, on the on the curriculum, it depends on whereabouts in the country you are as to what sports you play. So So again, for example, rugby league wasn't on the curriculum in in the northeast because it just wasn't a sport that was that was widely known in the northeast so you played rugby union um and and that was relatively big or you played you know soccer or you played field hockey or or netball or basketball or whatever it was um so they they were on the curriculum you then did have some people like i say that, that may have been development officers for certain sports um, that came from from outside organizations so they would get like i say their funding from potentially the government so in terms of sport england um, or from from the governing bodies of of their particular sport, but for me, I think, and I think it's very prevalent now as well. The more technology that we're getting, the less kids are playing sport. So, for me, I think in the first instance, when you are looking at kind of middle school um, and obviously lower schools, when kids are younger, if you can just get them playing any sport and as many sports as possible, I think that's that's a good thing because you may have a kid that that does play soccer and then does play rugby and goes, hang on a minute, actually, I prefer playing rugby. Great. Or he goes, actually, I prefer playing hockey. That's fine. Not a problem at all. You know, as long as them kids are playing sport, that has got to be kind of the end goal from a, a, a really kind of um, de- de- developmental youth level, if you like. So from that kind of middle school level where you can say, look, you can play any sport you want. You can play track and field. You can go um, play hockey. You can go play basketball. You can go play netball, lacrosse, whatever it is. But actually, as long as they're playing them sports, then you will, you, you're always going to get fallout of players. You're always going to get fallout of kids that actually go, I'm not interested in it anymore. You're going to get fallout of kids that go, well, I only did it because mum and dad said I should have done it. You're going to get fallout of kids that just fall out of love with, with certain sports. And, and again, that's fine. But if you don't give kids that opportunity, and I think that's one of the big things that it was for me when I was growing up, was if you don't give the kids the opportunity then they're never ever going to experience that sport in the first place. So they're never even going to consider it, never mind drop it in the first. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, again, it goes back, and this is no disrespect to, to how rugby league was when I was growing up, but in the Northeast, we, we didn't have a great setup. And it, funnily enough, I was actually talking to, to one of the guys I used to play with um, when I was a junior. 
And we were saying, you know, we had some really good guys that, that played for us at, at junior level, at kind of under 15s and the 16s level that, that, yeah, if we had a proper academy setup, could have probably made it full time or, or could have made it to more players, I should say, to the to what was then the Gateshead Thunder first team, which is now Newcastle Thunder. Newcastle Thunder now has an academy and they're starting to pull in players from other regions like North Yorkshire, like Scotland, like Cumbria. So all of a sudden they're at that level now, you know, 10, 15 years down the line where they are more professional. But again, it, it goes back to when they started kind of brainstorming about what they wanted to do. It was about getting as many rugby balls in as many kids' hands as possible. You know, whether that's girls, boys, doesn't matter what age group it is. If you get a rugby ball in their hands playing touch, tag, full contact, half contact, seven aside, nine aside, 13 aside, it doesn't matter as long as they're playing, as long as they're enjoying. And as I say, you are going to lose some kids to, to sport. You're going to lose some kids to other sports. You're going to lose some kids to just wanting to go and play Xbox. And that's fine. But if they're not kind of exposed to that sport in the first place, then they're not ours to lose. Does that? Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you have to be experienced to it to be able to have the dream, right? And, Correct. And kind of what you said there, I just remember growing up, middle school, playing football and coming up and, and looking at the guys that were older than me and just saying, you know, I want to play under the lights, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing growing up in the Midwest was we didn't play Saturday games uh, during the afternoon. We didn't play Sunday games during the afternoons. We played on Friday night. Yeah, We played in a town where everything shut down uh, if you wanted something uh, on a Friday night, you better get it before five o'clock because once fo- once high school football starts, everything is closed. <laughs> and, and it really just gives you something right to kind of to live up to. And, and I think where for me, where I think we've, I don't know, failed, maybe a strong word, but where we failed is the presentation of the sport here in North America. Sure. We've really. You know, no disrespect to anybody's effort, but we've really made it 100% live or die by the 90 minutes whistle to whistle, right? Yeah. Uh, from the start of the game to the end of the game, that's what we've made it about. And we haven't made it about anything else. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like, you know, trying to drive a car with one wheel on the car, right? Uh, you need the other ones to make it work. Um, I think we got to do the same thing. We've got to think about the business, right? Can we continue to operate year over year? We got to think about the presentation. How do we get people interested in this? And we've got to think about the community. How do we get into the community to get people to care about a sport that they've never even seen? Yeah. Right. If we don't have those four kind of pillars, if you will, um, it's just not going to work. We're not going to have the impact uh, that I, that we're trying to give. And, you know, we talked about, you know, kind of going back briefly to the, that promotion relegation. Arena football here in North America is something that you can see where you just pump a ton of money in there. You don't fix any of your other problems. You go out, you win a championship. Maybe you make the playoffs uh, the year before, the year after. And then you don't have any money, so you're gone for a couple of years. Yeah. And then, you you know, you, you get up another head of steam and you come back, you, you know, you and I experienced it through working with some organizations and it was just so frustrating to go, listen, let's, let's not do this for the short term, right? It's like getting a business, getting everything together, throwing everything at it and hoping that it works uh, because all you got is six months to make this business work. Let's think about solving problems, right? Ask ourselves the seven whys. Ask the question, why, why don't I have any customers? Well, nobody knows about me. All right. That's why number one. 
why doesn't anybody know about me? That's why number two, right? Keep going till you get to the seventh one and you'll stop treating symptoms of the problem and you'll start treating the actual problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, so we've got the concepts out of the way, I think. We've got, maybe kind of got some uh, eyes glossed over right about now in the conversation. So let's <laughs> talk about some of the fun stuff. Uh, you know, for me, I think, and uh, in, in why I talked about the pathways was you start in high school in, in football or you start in middle school, uh, you start playing and you really play all the way up through middle school. You play in high school and then you have a chance to go on to junior college or university. And if you're the top 1% of 1%, you have a chance to go on and play professionally. Right. Mm, mm. So we've got a ton of people in there just, you know, going up and down. We've set that. Where do we get players from right now? If we're going to come in, we're going to drop a league, right? Where do we get players from right now? So you, you stick a league in there, obviously, depending on how much money you've got. Um, you know, if, if money's kind of, I wouldn't say no object, but if money's, you know, we, we can put a decent league in there that can compete with, with some of the top leagues or, or indeed, you know, potentially the championship, for example, over here. Um, you're going to need, being honest with you, you are going to need overseas players. Um, so you're going to... I, however, I wouldn't flood it with overseas players. So you may have a quota of overseas players where you say, well, actually, in your squad of 30, you can only have five, six, ten overseas players. Um, overseas players do not count as um, South Americans, as Jamaicans, as Canadians. You know, all of them do not count. However, Australians, Frenchmen, um, guys from the UK do count. And I think it is important to have those people that, that do, I suppose, essentially know the game. So it's, it's essential to have those players so that actually we can have a good standard of, not sport, but a good standard of our sport. Um, yeah. From there, I think you need you need young Americans. I think you could probably have a smattering of, of players that are currently playing the game in terms of the USARL, for example. Um, players that are... Um, U.S. nationals. So, so a good example of that is is Beretta Primer, who plays at Hull FC in in the Super League. Would he count on your quota, for example, of overseas players? I'd say no, because he is a heritage player. So again, don't have heritage players on there. So all of a sudden, you may get a couple more guys that have an Australian or a Polynesian accent, but they're not counting on your quota. But you, again, you're pulling the the standard of the game up. Right. You then look at exactly how you've just described there. That that one percent of one percent of one percent of players that actually make um, first grade NFL or Major League Baseball or NBA, whatever it is, you think about the amount of athletes that don't make that. And that's just from one sport in terms of the NFL, so American football. You then widen that search and you look at the amount of um, amount of people that don't make the US national team at the Olympics in track and field. And all of a sudden, you have a huge pool of athletes that are head and shoulders above a lot of other athletes around the world in terms of physical fitness, in terms of um, dietary requirements, everything like that. If you can then say to them, well, actually, we're going to sculpt you into this this rugby league player. And again, they might not, you know, you, you could have a salary cap. Those players may not count on the salary cap, for example, um, or an academy player might not count on the salary cap, depending on the age and stuff like that. So I think you, you certainly pull in players from... That, that potentially have, have gone, you know, I want to make it in, in the NFL, haven't quite made it, what do I do now? Well, actually, I've got this other contact sport that you are going to understand because it is very similar to gridiron. Mm. You know, you, again, you've not made it the NFL. You, you're going to try the CFL, great. You've not made it there, not a problem. 
come to our sport. But again, I think you can't you can't then stop them if, for example, they go well. Actually, I, I've I've now got an opportunity to go play for the uh, 49ers, for example. You go, yeah, great. You you go for it because that then exposes the sport again. And and right. from a selfish perspective, of course, you want to keep that athlete, and of course, you want to keep that guy because you go look. This guy can play NFL, this you know, and you can promote him. However, you turn that on its head, you go, This guy's gone from our league to go and play NFL. So then you get those kids that have that have kind of come out of college and not made it to the NFL and they go, Well, if he can make it from playing this sport, why can't I? So again, you start to to get the wheel turning. And I think because because our sport is so exciting, and I think there is a a passion and a desire in North America for contact sports. You look at the amount of players that play football, you look at the amount of players that play hockey, and there is a desire to to go out and knock seven bells of whatever you want to call it out of each other <laughs> um, yeah. from a very young age. Um, but also, I think it's a very, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a very American thing that you guys think that you have to be the best at everything. And I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Please don't get me wrong. But I think that's genuinely a really good thing because actually these kids have put everything into being a track and field athlete. They've not quite made it. Okay, well, what's the next thing I can do that I'm going to be the best at? And and that is, that's what's massive for me. So as many Americans as you can get into that or, or North Americans, you know, depending on how you look at the league, that have come from just outside that just not quite made it to that professional level in terms of sport. Um, and they've just come out of college, they are some of the fittest athletes you will ever see. Mm. You know, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. First, uh, yeah, it is the American way. It is, it is really bred into you that it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, who your parents were. Uh, if you're willing to put in the work, you can get what you want out of life, right? That is, that is something from a very early age that's really drilled down into you as a kid. And I think that fits a lot of things that we're talking about right here, right? Mm -hmm. We got to be committed to the process. Yes, we have a goal. Yes, we know what we want, but we got to be patient and committed to the process. We've got to know that we're not going to have superstars for the next 10 years. We're sure. not going to have, you know, franchises that have been heard of from around the world. But if we're willing to put our head down, we're willing to, to put in the work, right? We're not breaking big rocks with sledgehammers here. We're breaking giant rocks with little tiny hammers. That's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. We've got to understand that that's what we're doing. We can, we can get there. We can have what we want. Another thing that you, you said there was, you know, nobody cared about the WNBA, the Women's Basketball League, yep. until the talent level got better. Right? Yep. There were people, you know, for the right reasons who liked the WNBA, but, but the majority of people did not start paying attention to the WNBA until the talent level, lack of a better term, was upgraded. Yep. Right? We got more people, more women playing. Their skill level got better, and only the top 1% of the top 1% got in and and that's the big thing, right? And it kind of, you, you just really touched on it a little bit, but it really brings me back to the other thing, though, is you said something about the Olympics. What I loved prior to 1980, right, in the 1980 Olympics, uh, it, it, the miracle on ice, right, if you're familiar with it. The sure. U.S. men's hockey team, uh, they were 100% college kids, went out and beat the best team in the world. What I loved about the Olympics in, the, in 1980, and it, and it changed after that because it was all professional athletes, started the floodgates open. 
what I loved about that was the story, right? These guys did not have NHL contracts waiting on them for, to get back. They mm-hmm. didn't have jobs waiting on them to come back. They were college kids, right? You know, there were other, other athletes that would go to the Olympics. They were swinging a hammer five days a week on a construction site trying to put in enough time so they could be an elite level athlete to go to the Olympics because that is their championship, right? Sure. They might get, they might get a gold medal and maybe $50,000 and then it's right back to work, right? Yeah, Strap yeah. on the tool bag and it's right back to work. All of those things really equal something we, you know, I wanted to talk about a little bit later, but that always all equals into the story, right? Sometimes, in sports, the story is more important than the play on the field. Yeah. And I think if we're going to get people to understand that this is an amazing game that can have a lot of impact in North America, we've got to talk about the stories, right? We've got to talk about, you know, predominantly Americans that know about this game and play this game came from the United States military, right? Because they traveled overseas, they knew other people, you you know, those are the stories that we've got to focus on. There's 24 hours in a day, there's only 90 minutes in a game, right? 80 minutes in a game, you know, whatever level you're playing at, 18 minutes in a game. We've got to do something with the other 24 hours in the day. And, you know, if we're going to get people to understand that this is a great game, then we've got to tell the story. And, you know, that brings me around to fans, teams, and cities, right? Where would you like to see in the U.S. cities that you know of, uh, where would you like to see something uh, for a team? See, for me, I I was sat looking at this list, and I wrote this list down, and I think I ended up on about three pages. Um, (laughs) But you you, you kind of get a few cities, and you go, yep, 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 yep. And then you go, well, what about this place? Well, what about yeah. this place? Yeah, and I think you know. For me, it's it's got to be some of the big cities. Um, if if you're going to do it properly, let's do it properly. And if, you know, cities like New York City, LA, um, Miami, potentially Orlando, Miami, Orlando. I'm not sure on that one. Um, Chicago, but the the ones that excite me are some of the ones that, that potentially you may not have. Um, so, for example, Salt Lake City, I think, is mm. a huge one. So, Salt Lake City, obviously, you've got Real Salt Lake City. You could play out of the Rio Tinto Stadium if you really wanted to. However, if you if you try and scale it back a little bit, they also have a, a stadium called I think it's called Zion's Bank Stadium, um, which is about five thousand yep. capacity. So, I just wanted to to touch before I kind of go in in depth with this. Some of the stuff I thought about was actually you need to to kind of set some not rules, not the right word to use, but some kind of guidelines of well, this is what we're after. This is the the benchmark mm. of what we need. So whether yeah. that is the club has to have a men's, women's, and an academy, um, you know social media presence that kind of idea but i think one of the big things for me was having a five thousand capacity plus stadium yeah yeah and i think now and now to add to that i I was thinking about this the other day i didn't didn't mean to cut you off but no you you know i was looking at some pictures of some some smaller clubs uh over in england and just thinking you know we don't have to they don't have to be gigantic uh and you can really go just do a, a horseshoe uh, mound system where maybe you don't have seats, maybe it's all grass seating, right? Mm. You come and you bring the family, you sit on the grass, uh, you know, you bring the you bring the picnic or whatever, and and you watch the game, and, and to kind of make it more than about the game, right? Feeding mm. right back into that. But mm. you're right, we don't need giant stadiums because we're not going to fill them up for a very long time. Sure, and I think you know, but you still have to have that benchmark of going. Well, actually, we need to have a minimum of of five thousand capacity, for example. Yeah, um, and I think yeah. that is a, a good capacity to have because you may get some people that get a thousand, you may get some people that get ten thousand, 
Um, obviously, as, as the game gets gets bigger, and hopefully we get some stadiums that actually we are going to get a hundred thousand. Um, but I think that's yeah. that's a little way down the line. But yeah, Salt Lake City for me is is a big one because there is a huge Polynesian um, population in Salt Lake City and and in Utah anyway. Um, so I think that that is kind of a big tick on the list. There's no okay. There is a little bit. I think um, there's an MLR team there, um, and there is a little bit of rugby union. Um, but there's not a huge amount of football there. Uh, yeah. So I think that's one of the things that, that we've got to remember. We are going to be, to a certain extent, competing with football cities and, and football yeah. teams. However, obviously, football are playing <clears throat> through the winter, so so we may pick up some of their fans. And that brings me on to, to a couple of places that I think are actually really interesting. So San Antonio. I think mm. San Antonio in Texas is a really, really interesting one. I mean, you've got a, a, a um, population of around about sort of one and a half million and that's a, a huge population, let's be fair. You know, one and a half million people and they don't have a football team. You know, there's there's more people in San Antonio than there is in um, in Jacksonville, Florida. There's more people in San Antonio than there is in Indianapolis. And both of those teams, you know, <laughs> have, have NFL teams. However, San Antonio is a city that absolutely loves its football. I mean, yeah. it absolutely loves college football. And this time of year, you know... To be fair, Texas is a state that, that loves college football, let's be fair, um, yeah. as a whole. But San Antonio, I think, deserves a team. Another another city which, again, goes off that kind of um, football feel that, that, that's kind of deprived of football is, and this is, might raise a few eyebrows, is Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. I think Birmingham, Alabama is the perfect city for a rugby league team. It's a working-class town, which is what rugby league is. It's got some big corporations. So BBVA Bank um, head office is in Birmingham, Alabama. So all of a sudden, you know, if you can pull in something like that, I think they netted something like something stupid, like $700 million last year. Um, wow. You know, and, and all of a sudden they, there is a small, again, 5,000 capacity stadium that a soccer team plays out of. Um, 200,000 people live there. So again, it's, it's not huge, but it's not tiny. Um, and again, the weather's pretty good. I think that's one of the things we've got to take into consideration as well is you yeah. know, when you start to get up to kind of your neck of the woods, if you like, and, and yeah. kind of into Canada, is you've got to be very careful with, with how the weather is in, in times of year that you're playing. Um, so Birmingham, Alabama, I'm going to put out there, I think they deserve a rugby league team. Um, there's a couple of cities that I've put in just because I've got soft spots for Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, just purely because I'm a Carolina great town. fan. Yeah, great town. <laughs> but again, on the flip side of that, actually, they they would deserve a team, and and there is a again a soccer team there called Charlotte Independence. Um, I think they play out of a stadium called Memorial Stadium, which is about ten ten and a half thousand. So again, we're not mm. talking about playing out of Bank of America, which is seventy thousand. Um, we're we're talking about a, a reasonable uh, venue. And another place I I think deserves rugby league, and I think this is just purely because again, Charlotte, North Carolina is very in a very similar situation where. USARL currently is is mainly on the you know the east coast if you like and you kind of have a lot round of the the New England area New York area and a lot round the Florida area and you don't really have anything in between so you you fill that gap with Charlotte North Carolina but you also fill that gap with Nashville Tennessee and I I mean you know again I have a soft spot I'm a big country music fan so you know anything Nashville Tennessee is is everything for me apart from not a big Titans fan but that's that's by the by. Yeah, um, but, but yeah. again, you, you have some great some great facilities you can use. There is a, a stadium there that, that Tennessee State Tigers use, and um, that again is ten thousand seats. I think it's called Hale or Hole Stadium. I think they call it the Hole. 
Um, yeah. And and all of a sudden, you know, again, it's a huge football um, city, and now they've just got an MLS team as well. So for me, those those are some of the the big ones. And and one last one before I I kind of give you the reins, if you like, um, before I go off on too much of a tangent, is is Seattle. And I know I've jumped to the other side of the the country. However, Seattle is such a sporting city, and they take to sports so well, or it appears yeah. to me that they take to sports really well. I mean, obviously, we've just had the launch of the Seattle Kraken in, in the NHL, so I think they're coming next year. What a terrible name. I, I just, sorry. I just, <laughs> I, the name is okay. The logo needs a bit of work. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's a great town. I, I like it. I like it. I'm, I'm going to contradict you and say they are my new NHL team. <laughs> um, but, but look, you know, you, obviously, they, they've got the loudest stadium in, in the country, I think, Guinness sure. World Records um, yep. show with, with the Seahawks. And, and again, not a big Seahawks fan, but but they get people there. And and to be fair, they, again, they've got a major league rugby team um, in the Sea Wolves. They've got a an MLS team as well. So they are they are doing things, and and they really take to sports, and they they really take to sports that aren't necessarily their sports. So, you know, you've got a city that's that's really taking to hockey. You know, mm. you've got a city that's really taking to to soccer, and actually they're starting to take to to rugby union as well. So. I don't see why they wouldn't take to our sport as long as as long as again it's marketed right in terms of that um, that feel that all the teams have of of kind of having that um, sea feel if you like for want of a word so right. like the Kraken like Sea Eagles like Sea Wolves all of a sudden everyone has a, a common theme common theme in colours and and that kind of idea um, but yeah for me those those are kind of some of the cities that, that potentially people may not even think of and some of the cities where you might go well actually he's talking a load of bullcrap um <laughs> yeah no i think in this day and age um I, there are a lot of crowded markets out there right sure. new york city is crowded dc philadelphia boston those are very crowded markets mm. and and i think i like what you're saying there because i think b-level cities right uh where there's maybe only a minor league baseball team i think those are the cities that you can have a big impact in right mm. away but i think what I think, go ahead sorry to cut you off i think also I, I think it's a little bit um it's not quite right to call them b b class t- cities because i know that's not what you mean but yeah but what i what, what i'm saying is you know places like birmingham alabama okay they don't have a, an nfl team or an nba team or anything like that but everyone's heard of birmingham alabama for sure everyone's heard of nashville tennessee yes okay they do have obviously the tennessee titans and they are trying mm-hmm. to get major league baseball and the same with Charlotte. Everyone's heard of Charlotte, North Carolina. Everyone's heard of Seattle. You know, everyone's watched the film Sleepless in Seattle. It's um, it's, it's yeah. those kind of reminisce things again. Everyone's heard of Orlando. Everyone's heard of Orlando because of Disney World. But that that doesn't matter. But if you can, you know, again, Orlando doesn't have. Okay, yes, they do have a, an NBA team, um, but they don't have you know a football team. They don't have um, a hockey team. And that right. kind of idea. So I, right. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's B, B level isn't the right word to use, but that's what we're going to use. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Well, where I'm going with that is if you look at it as, let's call it B level cities are, have one or two sports teams and have more than 600,000 people. Right. Sure. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of one place that I know of uh, most people probably, unless you live in the United States, and, and really most people in the United States probably don't even know where it's at. But Norfolk, Virginia, mm. uh, it is a it's it's the biggest military population in the world is concentrated in that one town. Mm. If you look at the entire Hampton Roads uh, area, there's 1.7 million people that live in that one area. Wow. Um, 
And it's really only a few, I think, Division Two and one Division One uh, football team there. Uh, they do have the Norfolk Admirals, who are uh, a minor league hockey team that have, you know, they've been killing it for a long time. Uh, but I think that is one of those things, like looking at it. Now, you mentioned a couple of other ones, right? Uh, Birmingham, 200,000 people. Sure. Well, that doesn't seem like a lot of a lot of people. Uh, again, if you go back to the Green Bay Packers, right? Green Bay, Wisconsin only has about 300 and some change thousand people that live there. Now, granted, they've had a long history, but, you know, you really only need, you know, about a thousand passionate fans year over year to continue to move uh, in the right direction. So, you know, there's some towns out there that I think just because the massive size and the population that we have, uh, we can make some impact. I think uh, it would be while there's a ton of people in New York City, I don't know. Uh, can you carve out? Can you wrestle fans away from another sport or another event to kind of go year over year? Probably. Um, but where are you going to be at? Are you going to be the last cow at the trough? You know, or, mm-hmm. or are you going to actually have a fair share of what's going on? Mm-hmm. So to move on, uh, teams, what do you think? I, I think 12 teams is realistic. Six and six, kind of east and west. Mm-hmm. The tough part is, there's such a distance between the two, right? So from where uh, where I live in Burlington, Vermont, <clears throat> down to Orlando, Florida, is a solid 24 hours of drive time. Sure. That's not counting anything else. That's just in the car with the motor running. You're going down the highway. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, three north, three south, uh, six east, uh, you know, west, east and west, if you kind of break them up, uh, you know, um, where do you think we should be at as far as teams? I think if you if you split it into two um, divisions, and yeah, I think you're looking at about 12 teams. If you split it into four, you need probably even teams um, to, to kind of keep the momentum going. So whether that is four teams per per um, conference, if you like. So that's that's looking at 16 teams, which is obviously a big stretch from, from 12 to 16. Right. Um, however, I think one of the big things, again, going back to those solid foundations is if you can... If you can get on board with with a budget airline, for example, so someone like I don't know, Ali Giant, I think that's how yeah. you, you pronounce it. Uh, Allegiant, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they're they're based in Las Vegas, but they serve a lot of of, of kind of cities that we're talking about, and and they serve the big cities, you know, your Chicago's, your your San Francisco's, your, your Dallas's, but they also serve your smaller cities. You know, they they serve you Portland, Oregon, you know, and and they serve you Salt Lake City and. They serve you um, Virginia Beach, for example. I don't know if they do, but um, but you know, if you can kind of get on board with a budget airline. I mean, I was doing a little bit of research, and, and it, it really struck me. So, th- I know I'm kind of going off at a bit of a tangent, but the top three international airlines in the world in terms of uh, passenger movement are American Airlines, Delta Airlines, yep, and United. Yep. At number five is Southwest. So yeah, <laughs> I think the one that sits in between is um, I think it's Etihad or um, one of the kind of the the, the Middle Eastern ones, right? Um, so you look at that and all of a sudden you go, crikey! Like that that's a lot of people they they're shifting, and that's before you start looking at like your, your budget airlines. So I think you know, like I say, you need to you definitely need to split it into divisions because the country is far too big to have one division where you know you could be playing in New York one week and playing in Los Angeles the next week. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for the athlete. It doesn't work, um, you know, in terms of money. Okay, it works a little bit in terms of the fully professional leagues like the NFL, but you look at how much money the NFL makes. And, you know, the NFL is the biggest sporting market in the world. 
So yeah. we're, again, we're not we're not talking about competing with that. But I think if you if you look at kind of half and half, you are looking at probably six teams per per division. Okay, you may have a couple of crossover games, um, but at the same time, I think you, you're probably going to end up playing the same teams in your division two, maybe three times, and then and then obviously having a, a playoff series. Um, mm-hmm. If you have if you split it into four conferences, then yeah, I think you go sixteen teams and have four teams per conference. Because again, I think if you have too many bye weeks, it it kind of puts people off from coming to watch the game because you may not see a game for two, maybe three weeks because of the way it's been. You know, you may have a a a road game, a bye week, a road game, a home a home game. You know, you've seen in that month you've seen one game, whereas at least in that month you could see two games rather than one game. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's how you'd go with it. Again, it all depends on how much money you're pumping into it. But right, um, I think it's got to be even in terms of the amount of, of teams per conference, so that you don't kind of risk losing people that are fresh to the game and people that are fresh coming to watch. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, one of the struggles is, is the money part, right? And and I think we, you know, we'll talk about it in a in a separate episode. But I think. Um, one of the areas that we kind of fall flat a little bit, probably because of money is, um, you know, USARL, what do we play six games and then we're on to the playoffs? Mm. Uh, you know, that's just, it's not enough. It's not enough games. I know it's tough on the, on the athletes, it's tough on the travel, the clubs just don't have the money to do anything more than that, but we really got to figure out how do we, how do we move that out a little bit more and, and get, get the season longer and get more games in and, mm. You know, I think that's going to come down to, you know, responsibilities, which is the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Many leagues, uh, player safety, officiating, and marketing, the league takes care of, the teams, everything else is on the team. Mm. Uh, before we jump into that, though, I wanted to talk about uh, salary cap, yes or no? Yes, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm on board with that uh, because I think you got to be more strategic you can't just get a couple of millionaires together and then they start throwing money around and now you're the New York Yankees, right? Absolutely. Year in and year out. Uh, I think it's it's a big thing that um, that we introduced in, in our leagues a long time ago, and I think it's the right thing to do. Mm. I also think that, you know, if we look at kind of what's out there right now, uh, you know, the league's got to be responsible. For me, the league's got to be responsible f- to bring in sponsors, mm-hmm. major sponsors. Mm-hmm. They got to be responsible for officiating. They've got to be responsible for um, marketing, and and which you know overall really comes down to media, right? Media yeah. falls under that. Yeah, uh, those are got to be those the areas they got to take it away from the team uh, to say, all right, these are the things we're going to focus on. Yeah, bringing all the sponsors you want, they're going to be at the lower level. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll take care of the main sponsors. Um, we'll drive media toward you. Um, mm. But, you know, you've got to have a plan together about what you're going to do. Mm. Um, I think for me, again, coming back around to it, it's got to be more than just what's going on on the field. Uh, yeah, you can have very good players and have very good play. But if nobody's showing up to watch it, who really cares, right? Sure, sure. No, I agree. I agree. I think for me as well, just, just going back to the sponsors thing is is you're right in what you're saying. The governing body needs to bring in um, kind of the big names, if you like. Everyone's going to have their, their local sponsors and, and stuff like that. But but ultimately, I mean, you know, we aren't, unfortunately, we're not in the position where we can just be called um, the Rugby League. 
we we need to be yeah. the the target rugby league or we need to be the McDonald's rugby league or or whatever it is. Um, you know, obviously we're not like I say we're not at the position where the NFL sits and goes the NFL isn't you know the um, the Macy's NFL. You know, um, yeah, yeah. But but also on on the flip side of that, I think. Um, teams need to be bringing in their own sponsors as well, you know, to, to help towards stuff like travel and, and, and that kind of idea. And obviously if you bring in a, um, a sponsor as a league, if you bring in a sponsor as, as a major corporation in terms of, you know, uh, travel, for example, I think that should be subsidized, but I don't think it should be free. I think because otherwise it, it becomes kind of a handout um, culture and, and people just expect to be given things on a plate as well. Right. Right. So uh, one last thing here, and I think we're, we're going to kind of go off the rails a little bit. What do you want to see as far as the game? Uh, I loved the XFL in its first incarnation, right? Yeah. The Extreme Football League. I loved because they had flyover cams. I loved it because they had referees. They were cammed and mic'd up. Uh, I like to kind of see behind the ropes a little bit. Mm. What, do you, what do you like out there that you see that, that some other leagues are doing that you would bring in? to kind of bring more people in. Uh, one of the big things that I, although I'm not a fan of NASCAR, um, if you download the NASCAR app, you can become one of the uh, subscribers for their app. You can see your favorite driver. You can see the RPMs. Mm. You can see mm. shift ratios. You can see, like, I like that stuff to see that. I want to see what's going on, how, how the uh, sausage is being made, so to speak. <laughs> My wife and I get into an argument all the time. Uh, she likes to show up five more, five minutes before a curtain call. I want to be there half hour, 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah. I want to hear the sound check. I want to see players warming up. Uh, that's what I want to see. Mm. What do you want to see from a league? I think, I think for me, it, it kind of potentially not quite what you've asked. However, I think one of the things, uh, one of the big things is in terms of broadcasting. So, you know, obviously if, if the league brings on NBC, for example, I'm not going to say that's going to happen, but let's say ESPN. So they bring on ESPN. However, um, any broadcasting, you know, if you're you're a season ticket holder for for a club, you can then get that broadcasting free on the app, or you know, you, you can then subscribe to certain games and stuff like that. Um, I think teams could potentially be free to to obviously show open practices and and that kind of idea, you know, potentially live streaming and stuff like that. I think um, I think some of the some of the extravagant things that you guys do need to be in there. So some of the American things, stuff like like you say, stuff like flyovers stuff like brass bands stuff like um the national anthem before every game stuff like tailgates yeah. i think we we can't come too far away from from what americans want from their sport and like you say in terms of nascar nascar has a lot of a huge following and a huge following in terms of you get a lot of again tailgate in terms of how you do in, in the nfl for example um of people that go just for the good time of the barbecue and the drinking and yeah and, and everything yep. like that and and i think we kind of need to have that that culture. I think one of the big things that we have in our sport is we have a huge family culture, and that is that could be kind of tenfold in America. Because if you know over here soccer, you have a don't get me wrong, you have a lot of problems in terms of home and away fans, and and you know if you're seen in a certain uh, certain bar or pub with the wrong shirt on, then then you're going to get beaten up. However, mm. you know I've been to to Magic weekends where you have the same. You know, we we so I'm a Hull FC fan, so we have Hull FC against Hull Kingston Rovers, and you've got Hull FC fans and Hull Kingston Rovers buying each other drinks and and singing along together. And, yeah, and that's you know, that's what we need from our sport. So 
it needs to have that friendly atmosphere, that that family atmosphere, which I absolutely love about our sport. And and you can then, like I say, you have those those tailgates, and and that's one of the things that that people kind of said a lot about the Toronto Wolfpack that they didn't realise was going to happen was you have the tailgates where you have the drinking, you have the songs, you have the beer tents, you have the uh, the barbecues, and then you know, like I'm I'm a little bit like yourself. I like to take take in the atmosphere and sit there, you know, 45 minutes before anything happens, just to see what's going on, see see how people are warming up. But then you do get those people that do come in last minute just to just to watch their team or or just to kind of have that passion with their team. Um, I think the way you guys have embraced uh, the MLS in terms of uh, obviously soccer over there is is big as well. You you kind of start to have that rivalry thing that that we have in terms of soccer, um, mm. but I still think obviously you still need to have the um, the the family atmosphere if you like. But if you can then start to get kind of diehard um, kind of groups of players that that all of a sudden you know you, you could be the I don't know if if you're in New York, you could be the 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 Liberties or whatever it is um, that are the the diehard fans that are week in week out in the south end of the the ground that that are you know have the brass band and everything like that. I think the the pomp and circumstances is certainly one thing that that we need to bring in. Certainly one thing that that you guys seem to absolutely love, and you see that in college football. I mean. You know, you have um, 54 guys run out and you've got a whole cheerleading squad and you've got 10 mascots and, and you know, guys with flags and, and you're touching the hokey stone and, and stuff like that. And, and I think rituals, you know, obviously come in time as well. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think for me, I don't think we steer too far away from the the American side of it. We don't steer too far away from um, how brash you, ca- you guys can be in the, in the nicest possible way. Because that's that's how you guys do sport, and and that's why people love, you know, over here we love watching baseball, or we love watching, um, you know, the NFL, or we love watching the NBA. Because actually, you make a big song and dance about it, and you're so um, passionate, and and um, the patriotism as well is is huge. So, I I think we de- definitely definitely keep that, and we mix that with um, with kind of the friendly and the, the family atmosphere that you get with rugby league over here. Yeah. Yeah, we are definitely a uh, an emotional country, sure. right? And I think that's why we love things that make that kind of touch our feelings. If we can stay in tune with that, right? It's one of the reasons why we love music so much here, right? Because music gives us a feeling. Yeah, that feeling puts us in touch with things that we want to be there, right? So if we can stay there, if we can make it more than just, it's gotta be a spectacle, right? Mm. We were, if we're going to show up, if you're going to ask the average person to show up and put down their hard earned money, which seems to never be enough to go around these yeah. days, yeah. it's gotta be special, right? You can't ask me to come down and put 50 bucks down to go to a game that is going to be the atmosphere's flat. Right. Yeah. There's the food is terrible. Uh, the play on the field is not good. Um, you know, I'm just it's never going to happen. Right. Mm. Um, but if, if you you draw me in with a story, a story. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're the yeah. We're the Cleveland Browns. We've been the Cleveland Browns for a long time. Uh, you know, we've got a history of losing, but we are together. Right. We understand we are the Cleveland Browns. Uh, we are the fans of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, we understand we're probably not going to be in the playoffs this year. We're probably not going to be in the playoffs next year. Uh, we may talk about it. Right. Just like being a Philadelphia fan. 
we may talk about how bad our team and how bad our players are, but you'd better never talk about it. Right? <laughs> that's the way we, that's the way we take it here. We, we, we are part of that. We get emotional about sports here. Yeah. We get emotional about entertainment here. And I think if you've got a league that can continue to touch on that nerve, you're going to be successful no matter what you do. I think the athlete breeds that as well. I think you look at, yeah. the, you look at some players that are playing for certain teams and, and especially I, you know, I, I watch a lot of, um, a lot of football. So love American football and I like to watch how passionate those players are they may have been drafted from from Birmingham Alabama and they may be playing over in uh, in San Francisco but they live breathe and die by that and for for me exactly how you just touched on there you want to be entertained you want to know that you spent your, your, your 50 bucks and you are being entertained and you know you were there you kind of it's that mm. roller coaster of you want to you want to get out of that stadium as if you've just come off a roller coaster you want to get out of that stadium and go you feel battered and bruised in a nice way where you go, I know I've been involved in that. I know that, that I was involved. I know that I was there. We didn't win, but, but we tried and, but we did win, but, and, and you've got all these emotions going through your head and you go, yeah. Holy cow. I am going back to that next week because it's yeah. all about the entertainment factor. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's been, it's been an hour. Uh, we've been talking <laughs> about it kind of the, uh, you know, if we break it down, the art and the science, right? Um, <clears throat> in a future episode, I'd like to talk about the science, right? We've talked about these things. How do we execute it? Yeah, how do we make sure. it work? Where do we find the money? Where do we bring the, the people in at? Um, and I'll, I'll kind of leave it with this. And it's something that I've been talking about really at my, at my day job, uh, trying to get some people around some concepts that we're trying to execute on. And that's in customer service. And it's kind of a country saying, right? I, I kind of grew up in the country and it's, the difference only makes the difference if it makes the difference, right? Mm. You can't sell somebody something that they don't care about. Yeah. You got to make them care. Yeah. You got to show them why it's different. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to get done. So, listen, I appreciate your time. I always enjoy hearing, uh, hearing the podcast, hearing your side uh, of, of what you think can, can make happen. And uh, I know we can do it here. Um, but we've got to have the right people in the right position leading the way. And I think uh, a lot of the people, you know, yourself, uh, the guys from the chasing kangaroos, I think what, what I'm trying to execute here and, and really why I brought this episode about was the things that I wanted to bring into a podcast. Uh, I hadn't really executed on them yet. Mm. And, and I think it's time to kind of start doing that mm. really talking about organization and leadership and in the business and, and how we're going to get this thing done. Um, listen we're we're doing all the good things right we just got to have the patience that we're 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 banging with very small hammers and eventually we're going to expose cracks and and some changes are going to come so i appreciate what you're doing out there educating people uh talking to you know putting the spotlight on some clubs out there that you know might not you know like vermont right queen city might not get the uh, the limelight uh, in other otherwise so i appreciate it no i i appreciate you i appreciate everything that you're doing as well and and you're right in what you're saying. I think that there is a small army of, of people that are slowly working away and actually building those foundations of, of what we need from our sport. And, and all of a sudden, it, you know, it might not come in the next five years. It might not come in the next 10 years, but it is coming. Um, and this sport will take off. Um, and, and that's what, what excites me. And I, I've always had a passion for our sport and I'm always going to be biased about our sport as well. Um, but, but at the same time, everything that I do on my podcast is, is for the greater good of, of the people that I talk to. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of why I did it. And that's why I started, but no, I really appreciate, I really appreciate you having me on. And, and obviously, you know, 
you're always welcome on mine and and i'd always love to come back on yours as well yeah great listen i i want to have you back because i i i want to kind of get down to how do we execute this plan right this this dream that we have this this christmas wish list um but i hope you guys uh have a happy christmas out there i uh, get through the holidays and uh you know, try not to eat too many, too much junk food. Uh, I got some Whoppers, uh, some the, the candy malted balls, uh, chocolate balls sitting right here next to me that are calling my name. So uh, hopefully you can get through without eating too much junk food and uh, everything will be good for you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. I second that. And I'm off to watch Santa Claus the movie. So uh... oh, good for you. Yeah, I think the kids are watching Elf right now. So yeah. I might go see uh, how Will Ferrell's fair now. <laughs> fair play. Fair play. But look, yeah, mate. Absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it coming on. All right. I pre anytime, anytime, man. We'll see you. Have a good, have a good uh, holiday. You too, my friend.